I did some manly stuff this week, like really manly stuff this week. Um, you all know I'm a big Jeep fan. Uh, I love Jeeps, have had Jeeps, have worked on Jeeps for a really long time. Um, my Jeep uh, was at a point where it was like I either got to fish or cut bait in terms of if I'm going to hang on to it forever till the wheels come off or if I'm going to trade it and try to get something new. So I decided to trade and get something new. I, got a, I, I couldn't tell if I wanted a pickup truck because I always love pickup trucks. I used to have a pickup truck uh, or a Jeep. And so I got something that's both. I got a Gladiator. It's both a Jeep and a pickup truck. So that felt kind of manly until... I got it home, and it didn't fit in my garage with my lawnmower. Um, so I'm like, well, this is a problem. Uh, so yesterday, I had to figure out how to get my lawnmower out of my garage, and I realized we've got this part of our basement that walks out that's not finished. So I thought, I went out and measured it, did mainly things, used tools, got a tape measure, measured the width of the doorway, measured the width of the, the lawnmower. It fits if you drive it in perfect, Right. So right now, my lawnmower is parked in my basement, uh, which means my Jeep can park in my garage. It's fantastic. But I had to use a chainsaw. I had to use a chainsaw to cut down trees and all that kind of stuff to clear a path for the lawnmower. And I just kept going back to that owner's manual. Don't use a chainsaw naked. Um, and if this is your first week here, go back and watch last week. It's not that weird. Um, let me, uh, <laughs> it's like, once you start chainsawing stuff, you realize, like, yeah, that'd be a real bad idea. Um, let me pray for us, and then we're, we're going to dive in this morning. Jesus, we thank you that we have a church that we can come into, uh, Father, where we can just be us. We don't have to put on a front, don't have to pretend to be somebody that we're not. Uh, we can walk into the doors of this place with all the mess, all the insecurity, the doubt, the loneliness, the fear. Uh, the pain, the trauma, whatever it is in our lives, you meet us in that space, Jesus, because you're not afraid of that. You're not afraid to get down into the pit with us. But the best part about that is you never leave us there. You meet us as we are, where we are, but you never leave us there, Lord. You invite us into a different way to live. And so this morning, as we unpack your truth, as we unpack your word, I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes, not to, not to man's opinion, Lord, but to what you say is real, right, good, and true. Uh, Spirit, just like we sing, like, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We, we pray that you do that work in us today. You, you create space. You carve out space. You renovate and restore and renew uh, all of that space within us. Uh, men, women, kids, everybody in between. Uh, Lord, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Everybody said? All right, so last week we started out with this scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. It says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong, let all that you do be in love. We looked at this scripture as well as a few others that kind of all fit the same kind of thread and theme, right? And that's this, that there's throughout scripture we see this, a charge to men to fully step into their God-given and God-designed roles, responsibilities, and expectations of things like bravery, courage, strength, action, humility, wisdom, right? And the reason for that is that other people, the people connected to them, right, they're depending on them to step into those roles and responsibilities and expectations. And here's what happens if they don't. If they don't, what we read was this, that entire kingdoms, communities, families, and people are left exposed to things like chaos, pain, and destruction, right? That's what, we, that's what we learned. If we don't, as men, step into who God designed us to be, this happens, right? This is what happens. Now, let me just say this, right? This is a series where we are talking to men, and we're doing this on purpose with everybody in the room, right? Here's why. Uh, in the room, there are people who work with men, right? There are people who are trying to raise young men, right? Men and women, right? There are people in the room, ladies. You work with guys. Uh, if you're a student, you go to school with guys, right? Some, we live with guys in our house. We're trying to raise them. So here's the thing. 
what we're saying and what we're going to talk about today, actually, there's something, there's a takeaway for every one of us in the room today. There's something for us to walk out of this place with. So I don't want you to think just because, like, yeah, this is a series for men, that we're just talking to dudes and everybody else can just kind of check out. No, there's more, really, for all of us today and in the next few weeks. And so the, the thing that we talked about last week was this, though. What we read throughout Scripture, because there are these moments where these kind of charges to men take place, what we learned is this, that, that throughout history, right, Men either let go of the rope when it comes to manhood, biblical masculinity, or we gave it away, right? Or somebody took it from us. And so kind of our takeaway last week was this. Men throughout history, we've lost track of who we are for one reason or another. We've lost track of who we're supposed to be, who we're designed to be. We've let go of what we're supposed to do. Now, regardless of how we got into this place, and I need you to hear me say this today, it might not be our fault, Right? And I want to make sure I say this. I know that, that just based on statistics, there are men and women in this room where someone in our lives, in our past, did something to us. We said no. We did not want for that to happen. We did not ask for that to happen. They didn't listen and did it anyway. Right? Some of us in the room, right, I know, have experienced that level of abuse or trauma or neglect or just being taken advantage of, being treated like an object and not a person. So let me just say this. That's not your fault. I need you to hear me say that. Someone else decided to take advantage of you. That's not your fault. But, men, women, it is our responsibility to take our lives back into, right? We've got to take control of this thing. We can't allow these things to continue. To, we've got to take control. We have a responsibility to, to move forward, to step into the opportunities that, that Jesus offers us. So while things may not be our fault, it is our responsibility to begin doing things differently. Why? Because doing the same thing over and over again while expecting a different result is the definition of insanity, so for men, here's what I want to say today. Stepping back into and reclaiming who God desires us to be requires taking responsibility. Now, here's the deal. We said this before. The way we take notes at Adventure, if you're new, you just grab it, take your camera out, and you take a picture of the screen. I'm just going to forewarn you. You're going to need to do that a lot today, right? So don't leave them in the holster. Just pull them out, right? Just get ready to quick draw. But when we talk about responsibility, again, like I said, it's not about fault. It's not about whose fault it was. Responsibility and what responsibility is all about. For me, again, I like books with pictures. So I take words and I split them apart to understand their meaning. Responsibility is all about responsibility. You make two words out of that. It's your willingness, your ability to step up and respond to whatever life is throwing at you and those people that are connected to you, right? Because it doesn't just affect you. Right, men, women, it doesn't, the stuff that hits your life doesn't just affect you. It also affects the people who are connected to you. And so taking responsibility is essentially leaning into your ability to and your willingness to step up and respond to the situations and circumstances in your life, whatever life is throwing at you. We read this last Sunday at kind of the man event, Sunday night. We talked about this verse. If you go backwards a few chapters in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, when, when I was a child... I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, he said, I gave up childish ways. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today, right? That, that point where we cross a line from boyhood into manhood. What does that look like? Because we've got to give up childish ways. We have to give up childish ways of reasoning, thinking, doing things, all that kind of stuff. We've got to step into this, right? And responsibility 
is really a core commitment and a core characteristic of men. We said this last week. The opposite of, of, of being a man, right? The opposite of biblical masculinity and manhood, it's not being a woman, right? And again, it's like, just so you don't email me, uh, when it comes to gender and biology, yes, the opposite of being male is female, right? But when it comes to being a man, when it comes to biblical masculinity, like, we're not saying that only men can embody characteristics like bravery and courage and strength. Like I said last week, and I love the fact that I feel like our ladies, like, caught on to this. I've heard the term warrior queen several times since last week. That's who you are, Right? Like, women are not weak. Women are not passive. Women are some of those strong people on the planet, right? They are. And so warrior queens deserve to be treated like warrior queens by warrior kings, right? They deserve honor and respect. So it's not something, as we start thinking about what's the opposite of biblical masculinity, it's not being a woman. Here's what it is. The opposite of biblical masculinity and manhood is being a little boy. It's being a little boy. Lacking, and here's what that means. Little boys lack in the true biblical masculinity. They lack in the strength, the maturity, and the courage to step into their God-given, God-designed, and God-intended roles and responsibilities of being a man. So the question then for us is this. How are we going to do this? How are we going to step into the responsibilities, men, of becoming men, moving from boys to men, right, which I know is a great band, right? How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? How are we going to step from, from this boyhood place into this manhood place to be better fathers and husbands and boyfriends and grandfathers and uncles? How are we going to heed the call and accept the challenge and step fully into the God-designed, God-given roles, responsibilities, and expectations that everybody connected to us? In your house, your family, your spouse, your kids, in your work, the people that, that work under you, right? The people that you're in charge of. All of these people that are connected to you. They're depending on us to step into these. They're depending on us to hold up our end of the bargain. And so what we said last week is this. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to look into the Bible, which is the operator's manual, for truth. We're going to look into the Bible for truth. And here's, I want to stay here for just a second. The reason we're going to look into the Bible for truth is this. As we unpack what all of this looks like, this is not my opinion. Right? I need you to know that. Here's the deal. If it was just my opinion, if I stood up here and just said, here's what I think, you could walk out of this place and go, I don't care what he thinks. Right? I just don't. I don't agree with his opinion. This is not my opinion. This is straight from Scripture. And today, we're going to dive deep into some Scripture. And so when, when you walk out of this place, here's who you're wrestling with. Not me, Jesus. And th- the great thing about this, and we say this at Adventure a lot, it's not our job to change you. It's our job to get you and Jesus in the same room so you guys can work some things out, right? And, and Jesus puts two deals on the table. Often, you'll hear us say this at Adventure a bunch, right? He, Jesus puts two deals on the table. You can keep doing what you're doing, right? Running your own life, being in charge of your own life. You can keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result. Or you can take the, the, the offer that Jesus, the deal that Jesus offers, which is this. Put him in charge of your life. Why? Because he conquered death and sin, right? Anybody that can be publicly executed in three days, walk out of a tomb alive, somebody you want to follow, right? He can do that. So, so again, Jesus, he says, like, listen, put me in charge of your life. Live the with God life. Live, live the way that, that I desire you to live. And what you'll find is it's actually an abundant life. Jesus isn't a buzzkill. He offers us a pathway into abundant life. And that's what we want. So you got two deals on the table. So when you leave today, you're not wrestling with my opinion, right? You're wrestling with Jesus. And let me just say this. That's okay. I wrestle with Jesus a lot. 
right? I come back to scripture a lot and I go, I don't know that I like that, right? I think I want to do it this way. And then I got to make the same choice in my head, my heart that you got to make, which is this, what deal am I going to take? What Jesus offers or what I think I can do better than Jesus? So when we talk about the operator's manual, that's what we're talking about. You're not going to get, like, welcome to my TED Talk, here's my podcast on men. That's not what this is. It's straight from Scripture. So we're going to look to the operator's manual for truth, and then we're going to look to Jesus as the model of how to live that out. And here's what we read last week. We kind of closed last week with this verse in, in 2 Timothy. So if you've got your Bibles, you can flip over to your Bible app. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is Paul, a mentor, right, guy in authority, writing a letter to Timothy, a young leader in the church who was coming up under his authority. And again, charge from a man in authority to someone who's stepping into authority. He says this, Timothy, all scripture, the operator's manual, is breathed out by God, right, who is the one who designed us and knows what's right and wrong. And all scripture is profitable for teaching. It shows us how we work best. For reproof, which is a word that means honest inspection of your life. For correction, fixing what's broken or out of alignment. And for training in righteousness, which is this, men and women, practicing to use who we are and who God entrusted me with in the way that he designed it to work. That's what it means to train in righteousness. I want to become more of who God says I am, and I want to live more the way he says we need to live. That's what that looks like. And then he says this, so the man, masculine, male, of God may be equipped, complete for every good work, which means whole, faithful, intentional, purposeful, and on mission. And last week I asked the question, show of hands, how many people would like to live that kind of life and a lot of hands went up the only way to get there is through jesus and then to root ourselves in the truth of scripture that's how we get to that space you can't manufacture it on your own and so today what we're going to do is we're going to dive into this core concept of manhood and masculinity called responsibility right and it's not just here again hear me say this responsibility is not something that just falls on the shoulders of men it falls on the shoulders of men and women. We each have responsibilities. We each have things that God designed us to do. We're actually going to talk about that today. But responsibility is one of those key traits when it comes to moving from little boy mentality, being a 14-year-old stuck in a 40-year-old's body, to being a man, right? So that's what we're going to talk about that. It's kind of like the border between boyhood and manhood. It starts with responsibility. So again, you got your Bibles. Flip back to Luke 14. We're going to live in Luke here real quick uh, for just a second. Luke 14, uh, verses 27 through 35. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, which means this, you have to make your own choice to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and says, listen, you've got to make your choice. You have to take responsibility for your own walk, your own belief, your own following of Jesus. And basically what Jesus is saying is, I can't do this for you. I can't do it for you. You're going to have to take some responsibility at some point for your relationship with me. And then Jesus goes on. He says this, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, here's what happens. When he's laid out the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Which means this. Jesus is basically saying, Take inventory. Take inventory, men and women, take inventory of what you're about to begin and understand the cost. And when you take inventory and you begin to understand the cost, you can truly take responsibility of what it's going to take so that you can finish and see it through and not just die somewhere halfway, right? You want to be able to finish. You want to be able to see it through. Jesus compares it to somebody who goes out to, to build a tower, 
It's like, listen, like if you don't sit down and weigh the cost and figure out what it's going to take and understand your responsibility in this, you're going to start building this and then you're going to finish halfway through. It's not going to be done. It's going to be incomplete and you're going to run out of resources. And Jesus basically says, and they're all going to laugh at you. So he says this. He says, or, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, he says, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. Again, Jesus is saying, take responsibility. Take responsibility in what you're about to do. Understand and know that this journey, the journey that you're about to step into, is going to have an effect on more than just you alone. Be responsible for yourself, but also be responsible for who you're responsible for. Don't lead your family into an ambush. Be responsible. Take responsibility. And then Jesus says this, So therefore, any one of you, he says, that does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And you go, wow, that's really harsh. Again, if you look at kind of what Jesus is saying and the way that he's saying it in the original kind of manuscripts in the original language, he's basically saying this, understand that in order to step into who you're called to be, you can't hold any part of yourself back. Basically, it's like, Jesus, I want you to change 85% of my life, but there's 15% that I kind of like it the way that I've got it, so leave that alone and keep your hands off. Jesus says, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. If you really want to step into this journey, if you want to become who I've designed you to be and who I know you can be and who you're built to be, you can't hold any part of yourself back. You have to lay it all out there. You have to take that responsibility. And then Jesus says this. If you thought that was harsh, take a look at this. He says, salt is good, but if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. So it's thrown away. And then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Basically this, if you don't take responsibility, right, you're not good to season anything. You're not going to bring any flavor to anybody's life. But also, get this, you talk about harsh. Not only are you not going to bring flavor to anybody's life, you're not even good to throw in poop. Like, you, like you're lower than that, right? And so here's the thing, without taking responsibility for what this is going to take, without taking responsibility for those in your care, if you try to hold any part of yourself back, odds are, this is true, in the end, nothing will change. And not only do we risk staying stuck as little boys trapped in grown men's bodies, but we also run the risk of ultimately becoming useless. And I don't know about you, but that, I don't know of, of, of anything more painful than just having no point, no purpose, and being useless in life. And you may go, well, man, that's really harsh. Here's the deal, man. Like we said, if we're not becoming watchful, if we're not becoming brave and active and growing in our strength and our faith, then we are going to end up being useless. When it comes to being the kind of men that God desires us to be and to do the things that he's designed us to do, like we just read, according to Jesus, what we read in the Bible, for men, responsibility is not only the dividing line between men and boys, it's also the, the line between useful and useless. And so we're going to unpack this responsibility today by asking two different questions. Number one, what's God responsible for? 
Like, what's his end of the deal? And number two, what are men responsible for? What are we responsible for? And again, I, I listened to my friend and mentor, a guy that's my pastor. He led me to Jesus. I still, this is the guy that I lean into all the time for guidance when it comes to life and teaching. I listened to my friend Jim Bergen, pastor out at Flatirons Community Church in Colorado. He taught on this, and I want to share something that he said uh, that really is going to kind of come out of today, right? So again, get your phones ready. I'll, I'll preface you as best I can. Men, all right, I'm just talking to men right here. I need your eyes, right? Here we go. Ready? If you really lean in, men, today, and you pay attention, and you listen, and again, this applies to men, but also women, here's what you're going to know. You're going to leave knowing exactly how to properly and accurately and precisely articulate who God designed you to be, what you're responsible for, and how to begin to step into that. And again, for men and women, you're also going to know the standard of what you're aiming for and want not to settle for anything less than. And again, men, if you got a little nervous in that moment of going, wait a minute, is there a possibility that somebody in my life might look at me and said, I've settled for less with you? Yeah, that's possible. But what that also means is you no longer have to settle for being less than who God designed you to be. So there's opportunity here. So you got to lean in today. Okay, we're going to go fast. I got so much. I, told, I, told, I was telling Gerald earlier today, after starting point, I've got a sixth gear that you all haven't seen yet. You might see it today. He's like, well, it sound like English? And I'm like, maybe. Um, so first question is this, right? What's God responsible for? Like, what's God's end of the deal? And to answer this, again, Bibles go all the way back to the first page, Genesis chapter 1. And we don't, have to go, we don't have time to go through all of this piece by piece, so I'm going to do a flyby real quick. When it comes to creation, here's what, one thing we need to know. God did it. When it comes to everything that's been created, God did it. Something I think is fascinating and super cool. Outside of people that work for churches and parachurch organizations, meaning pastors, church staff, people that work for, for organizations like Young Life, CIY, things like that, um, those kinds of things, like outside of parachurch organizations and church organizations, do you know what occupation has the highest number of subscribers and believers to intelligent design? The space program. It's fascinating to me that the, that the, the men and women who stare out into universes that look at stars and solar systems that try to figure this whole thing out, they may not go so, so far as to say they believe in Jesus, but here's what they believe. Somebody put this together that knew what they were doing. It's super cool. Like, none of this was on accident. This was, in, this, was, this was intelligently designed. Now, we know the truth, right? God did it. God did it. Well, how did he do it? How did God do it? By speaking it into existence. How does he do that? He's God. That's how he does that. And the cool thing is we read in Scripture that actually Jesus was the one that spoke and things were created, Right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit working together in and through creation, right? Jesus was the one that spoke, and everything was created through Jesus, right? The Bible tells us that everything was created through him, and without him, nothing would be created. So Jesus was the one actually doing the speaking. Well, then what happened? After Jesus spoke things into existence, it says this. The Bible will tell us God named everything in creation. He named it all. And what did he do? He defined the roles, the purposes, and the function of everything in creation, and he assigned it value. That's what he did. Here's how you work, and here's what you do, and here's how you fit into all of this, which I think it would have been just an amazing thing to sit back and watch. Like, you ever look at some of the weird animals and go, like, why is a giraffe? God's like, well, this is why, right? It's like, I made a like, long neck. Here's what you do. Here's how you fit in this. 
It's crazy. He knew he, all of those things were created on purpose. And what did he do next? Well, next, here's what God did. He arranged and he separated things so that they could all thrive. He put things together, not just haphazard. He put it all together so that it could thrive and they could grow. And then what did he do? He steps back and he blesses them. He causes them to grow. And he looks at it all and says, it's good. Which in scripture, the word it's good, that phrase in Hebrew means it works like it's supposed to. This is how it was meant to be. He looks at all creation and says, yep, this is how it's supposed to work. So pick up with me, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. After all of that, it says this, then God said, let us, Father, Son, Spirit, working together, make man, mankind, right? Human beings. So that first word, man, is mankind, human beings. This is where it gets interesting. In our image, which is a masculine word. So let us make mankind in our image, masculine, and after our likeness, which is a feminine word. And we're going to circle back on that here in just a second. It's interesting. It's really cool stuff in this. So here's what happens. After creating planets and stars and solar systems and galaxies and universes and mountains and oceans and plants and trees and animals, God says this. Now we, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're going to do something different. We're going to create something different than anything else we've created. We're not going to create something. We're going to create someone. And we're going to call them mankind. And they're going to be unique in all creation. Why? Because they're meant to show and share me. When creation looks at mankind, human beings, men and women, the design, the intent was that, that they would remind, that we would remind all of creation about God. And nothing else in creation does that. There's no other thing that God creates that he says, this is your intent, this is your design. That's not what he says. Only to mankind. My friend Jim says this. He says, mankind was created to share God on a different level. To live like God. To do things that are like God. So that creation sees him in us and so that he can rule with us. So let's break this down, right? We're going to, I said deep dive today. Here we go. What we read in Genesis is that men, male, we are created in his image. That's a masculine word, which is both a noun and a verb. It's both men, who we are, and what we do. We are designed and created to represent God in our identity and in our actions. That word image, noun and verb. Identity and actions. Women... We're created in God's likeness. That's a feminine word. And it's super cool that, that there are times, there are moments when God describes himself. God describes who he is. There's a moment, powerful moment in, in the book of Exodus where, where Moses asks for God to reveal his glory, to share with him his name, to share with him his true nature. And God says in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, there's this point where God describes himself as abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Right? God says, this is who I am. This is a part of what I do. And again, he says, I keep steadfast love for thousands and thousands of generations. That, that word, steadfast love and faithfulness, that keeping steadfast love, the steadfast love for generations, that's actually a phrase and a term and a word that was used to describe the kind of love that a mother has for their child. Specifically, the kind of love that a mother has for her child while she's feeding her child. That's the way I love you. I give all of myself to you. I care for you. I nurture you. I want to see you grow. 
So God describes himself, and the word he uses is to describe the kind of love that a mother has for feeding and nurturing and growing and loving their own child. So men, we're to represent God in our identity and our actions. Women, they represent God in things like mercy and grace and care and love and faithfulness. Their steadfastness. Again, like I said, warrior queens. Steadfast means to be unmovable. Right? The love that a mother has, trust me, my, the love that my own mom has for me, right? She's never wavered. And trust me, I tried to make her. But it's steadfast. She doesn't move. Same thing, my wife for our kids. Sometimes, like, she has to protect them. Like, it's like, she looks at me, goes, if you want to get to them, you got to go through me. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. Right? Last night, oof, boy, our boys, like, pressed all kinds of buttons last night. I'm like, I'm going to kill them. She's like, don't. I'm like, okay. So again, what I want, I want, the reason I share this about the whole masculine feminine thing, the masculine word, feminine word, male and female, the way that we represent God's image and likeness, I want to share this to kind of dispel some of the junk that gets tossed out in and around churches to kind of devalue women. And when we start talking about the fact that God describes his image as masculine and his likeness as feminine, here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that God is non-binary, right? So don't freak out. Don't email me. God is father. When God, he's male right? And here's what we know. When he refers to himself, every time God refers to himself throughout scripture, it's in the masculine form. Jesus, God with skin on, was a man. The Holy Spirit isn't a what. The Holy Spirit is a he and a him. So here's what this means. The reason I share this is this. God equally gave us both, men and women, responsibilities and expectations to be, to do, to exist, and to live in such a way that when creation sees us, it sees him. And here's what I love. It takes both men and women to do this most effectively, which is also why the covenant of marriage, which is, again, it's meant to image the gospel, right, of two becoming one, the covenant of marriage is between a man and a woman. Anything outside of that is not something that's made in the image and likeness of God. Because it takes men and women in that covenant where we are so close, right, spiritually, physically, emotionally. We are so close that you can't tell where one ends and the other begins. That's the gospel. When we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to move into our lives. And you can't tell where we end and the Holy Spirit begins. We're that close. That's why. That's why the covenant of marriage was seen a man and a woman. Why? Because God says, this is what it looks like to image my likeness and my, my image the best. And anything outside of that, it's going to be a knockoff, right? It's, gonna, it's, it's not going to do that as well as God designed it to. He created it. He thought it up. He knows how it works best. All right, let's keep going. Here, let's keep going in Genesis. Again, chapter 1, verse 26. It says, and then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image, masculine. In the image of God, he created him, masculine, male and female, men and women, he created them. So here's where responsibility kind of starts to come into play. Beyond being image bearers of God, right, which means this, to be and to do in such a way that when creation sees us, they're reminded of God. God now says he's giving us dominion over fish, birds, livestock, and creepy things that creeps, like a TLC song, right? He doesn't, get this, right? He doesn't give that to any other part of creation. 
He only gives it to us. And we're going to come back to this in a minute. But here, I want to define this. What, here's what being given dominion means. Dominion means this. You're given the authority and entrusted to be in charge of whatever has been given to you, whatever you have dominion over. So authority has been given to you, and you've been entrusted with something to have dominion over it. And in this case, what does God do? He gives us dominion over creation. And in this moment, God steps back and he says, it's very good. Catch that, don't miss that. Over the rest of all creation, when God steps back at the end of each day, he says, it's good, right? Works like it's supposed to. But over mankind, men and women, created in his image and likeness, who are given authority and entrusted with all of creation, he says, it's very good. Which means this, people to God, we're in a whole different category. Here's a key takeaway, right, for this. Only... Only image and likeness bearers contain God's breath and God's spirit, which makes us unique in our ability to relate and to respond to God and for him to relate and respond to us. And get this, only image bearers and likeness bearers are qualified and commanded to rule under God's authority. Get your phones out. The way we serve God the best is by being his image and likeness which means this, ruling how he would and reflecting who he is. You want to know how you serve God the best? Like that. Rule how he would. Reflect who he is. So there's some overarching responsibilities for all of us, right? But there are also some specific ones as well. And so, again, what I want to do today is just kind of unpack what God specifically says to men. So Genesis 1 is kind of a flyby of this creation account. It goes at like 30,000 feet, speed of sound. It goes by pretty fast. Genesis 2 dives into the details of God creating people. Here's what it says. Flip over one page, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It says this, when, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, why? For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man, masculine, to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Here's what happened. The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Our life, men, women, male, female, comes from God. And it's super cool that in, in, the, in the Hebrew, the, the word for, for spirit or breath is the word ruah, which means presence. In the New Testament, it's the word pneumas, which is pneuma, pneumatic, pneumonia, air-powered, breath, those kinds of things. That's what it means. The Holy Spirit, pneumas, the breath of God breathed into us, the presence of God at work in us. That's what brings us life. It says this, that the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man who he had formed, right? And here's why. The Lord God took the man, skip down to verse 15. He says, and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, this is important. Because everything that, that we're about to unpack, don't miss this. Everything that we're about to unpack happens before Eve comes into the picture. Eve gets a bad rep. And what we're getting ready to talk about happens before she's even created. She hasn't even been created yet. And what we just read is this. God held off on created some things. Why? Because there was no man to work the ground. And when he creates Adam, here's what he does. God puts Adam in the garden to do two things. Work it and keep it. Work it, my man. Right? Like, that's what I'm wanting you to do. Work it. And here's where we get specific. 
right? The command that God gives to Adam to, to work the garden literally means to actively make something good or favorable happen. That's what it means to work it. That you're being active and making something good or favorable happen. And it can be simplified really down to one word, to provide. You're providing what's needed to make something good happen, right? So that's what it means to work the garden. You provide what it needs to be able to grow. Men, we are to provide what our gardens need to be able to grow and flourish. Now, the command to keep it literally means this, to actively make sure nothing bad happens that would keep something good from happening. To take care of what you're given so that the desired and intended outcome is ultimately achieved. Again, to boil it down and make it really, really simple, it's to protect. Work it, keep it. Provide, protect. And then God says this, verse 16, he says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Guess who's not here at that moment? Eve, just God and Adam having that conversation. Catch this, all right? We're going to come back to this here in a few weeks. The instructions about the tree to not eat of the fruit of that tree happened before Eve existed. And it's easy to place blame on Eve, but really, the first sin, if you want to get super technical, was Adam's passivity. The whole reason that they got themselves and the rest of humanity into the mess that we're in, ultimately comes back to the fact that Adam didn't hold up his end of the bargain to provide and protect what was entrusted to him. But the reason that I want to include this piece today, really it's the last element of God's responsibility. So, quick flyby, what's God responsible for? God is responsible for all creation, right? He takes responsibility for all creation. He takes responsibility for putting it together, for blessing it and assigning value to everything. God is responsible for creating men and women. He takes responsibility for giving us purpose, to be image and likeness bearers. He's responsible for giving us dominion, which means to rule under him like he would. God is responsible for the roles and responsibilities and expectations given to men to provide and protect. And God is also responsible for establishing what's wrong and what's right. The way to live and the way not to live. And before you go like, well, why did God set us up to fail? Like, why didn't he do something with that tree? Why, did, why didn't he just like, again, why did he like build a giant fortress around the tree? Like, why did God, here's the deal. Part of God creating us in his image is the ability to choose. Because if God held a gun to your head and said, you got no other choice but to follow me, there's no choice in that. Right? That's a dictatorship. That's slavery, not a relationship. So God gave us choice. He has choice. We reflect him in the fact that you and I can choose if we're going to listen to him or not. But. Before you start throwing stones at God going, why did he set us up to fail? Check this out. Not only did he take responsibility for showing us the right and wrong way to live, ultimately in Jesus, we see God take full responsibility for everything that happened as the result of us not living in the way that he intended for us to live. Not his fault, but he took responsibility. You get that? Not his fault, but he took responsibility. And it cost him the life of his son. 
So that's God's part in all this, right? That's, that's God's responsibility. So the question is this then, men, what are we responsible for? First, here you go, pictures, phones, ready. First, you are responsible for your identity, men. You are responsible for your identity. Men, you are image bearers of God. That's who you are. That's who created you. You are not who your father said you were. You are not who whoever it was your boss said you were. You're not. You're not the disappointment that you feel like you've been to every person in your life. That's not who you are. You are an image bearer of God. God is responsible for creating you and giving that to you, but you have to be responsible for living into that. So what does that mean? Here you go. Phone's ready. A man's responsibility is to live a life that correctly reflects the image, which is the character, nature, and power of God by doing this, blessing, empowering, defining, and assigning value to all of creation in a way that agrees with God. God would say, yep, you got it. And here's the deal, man, I'm gonna tell you this. This is what's at stake. This is what's at stake if you fail in the first area of responsibility. If you don't offer blessing and define and assign a proper value to what and who you've been entrusted with, somebody else will. If you don't tell your kids, if you don't tell your wife, if you don't tell your family how much they're worth, someone else will. Men, if you don't, someone will show your daughters just how much they think she's worth. Someone will show your wives just how much they think they're worth. Someone will show your sons just how much they think they're worth. Men, to live into this responsibility is to seek to be a reminder that every person you come in contact with, when they see you, they say, that's what God's like. So think about this. Based on your kids, your wives, your coworkers, your, your you know, students, your, your, your classmates, your teammates, based on what they see from you and get from you, what would they say God is like? What would they say? What would they say God is like? What would it be like? What would that mean Right? When, when someone is reading scripture right, and, and God starts being described or your son or your daughter says, that's what my dad's like, how would that feel? And again, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to be super vulnerable in this moment. I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a professional Christian. I get paid to talk about Jesus. And I'll be honest with you. There's some times in my own fatherhood and my own parenting and the way that, that I relate to my own family that if they ask this question, they would say this, God's a selfish a-hole. He's mean and he yells and he judges. If, he, if, he, if what we're supposed to see from our father, that's what we think God is like. I'm a work in progress too, men. Me too. We gotta start asking ourselves this question. Based on what people get from us, based on what the people around us, they see from us, they see in us, what impression of God do they get from you? Your next responsibility, number two, right? You're like, stop there, please. No, nope, there's more. Your next responsibility is intimacy. Don't go there yet, right? We're going to get there in a couple weeks. Like the last week, we could talk about what it means to be a lover, right? So don't go there yet. But in this case, what we're talking about is this. A man, which is a masculine soul, works best when he pursues, which means takes responsibility for living in an intimate, close relationship with God. 
We talk about intimacy. We're talking about intimacy with your creator, your designer, the one who gives you purpose. Bottom line here, guys, is this. You can't hit what you're not aiming for. Again, I see this all the time. We're surprised, right? Some of us, like when the same struggles and the same junk keeps piling up in our lives, and it is, here's the deal. It's because we're aiming for that. No one aims down the barrel of a rifle and pulls the trigger and then the bullet hits somewhere. Over. No, you hit what you're going to aim for. Men, there's a great quote, says this, your life right now is set up perfectly to get the kind of results you're currently getting. It's set up perfect to get the results that you're getting. If you want to be, men, an image bearer of God, then you have to be in a relationship with him. You cannot hit what you're not aiming for. If you're not aiming for him and being in a relationship with him, guess what? You won't be like him. And our next responsibility, the last one, is actually a two-parter. They go together. It's intent, which is your why, what drives you, and your initiative. That's your responsibility, your, your how, or what you're going to do about it, right? You take responsibility for your intent and your initiative. And again, here's what it says. A man is created to have dominion, right, which is this, to rule under God over everything in his kingdom, which is this, what you have influence over and responsibility for that God entrusted to you to work, provide for, and protect, Men, going back to this kind of garden metaphor, you've been entrusted with a kingdom. That kingdom is your garden. That garden, that kingdom is everything that you have direct influence over in your life and responsibility for. And I know, he, I know that the, the, the kingdom kind of metaphor can be weird. So again, just think of it like a garden. Think of it like your garden. You've got a garden in the back of your house or wherever. What's your responsibility? Your responsibility is to work, to provide what that garden needs to grow. Your responsibility is to keep, to protect it, to make sure that, that your garden has the best soil imaginable. And the people in your lives, those are who you plant in that soil. And you work that soil, and you protect that soil, and you provide for that soil so that those people can experience all the fullness and the blessing that God has from them through you. God looks at, his, at Adam and Eve and he says, be fruitful and multiply. Can I just tell you, that has nothing to do with having babies. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying this, be fruitful and multiply so that they, men, protect, work, provide, keep, right, all of this so that the people in your life can be fruitful and multiply, which means this, that they can be all that God desires for them to be as a person. So when you think about your responsibilities of intent and initiative, think of it like this. It's my job as a man to be an image bearer of God, to do all that I can to provide for my family so that they can experience the fullness of God's blessing. And here's what I do. I keep watch and protect those in my care from anything that wants to steal and kill and destroy them and take away what God desires for their lives. Think about that. Just look at that statement right there. Imagine if you shared this with somebody. Like, what, what, what are your, what's your job? Well, it's my job as a man to do this, to be an image bearer of God, to provide and protect, to, to work and keep, right? To make sure that the people in my life can become all that God desires them to be. Yeah, what do you do? I sell insurance. I work in a factory. I'm a teacher. I'm a cop. I'm an accountant. But that's who I am. Like, that, those things pay the bills. That's my job. That's what I do. So I told you, men, you'd be able to leave today knowing fully what your responsibilities are. Again, picture time. Ready? As a man, a sovereign God has created you, 
in his image. And he's trusted you to rule under him. And he's invited you into an intimate relationship with him so that you can learn to lead as he would over all the parts of creation that he's put under your authority. He's given you the intent and the initiative to provide for and protect everything that's in your kingdom so that those that are in your kingdom may live the life that God has in mind for them. That's what it means to be a man. You want to know what your responsibilities are? Right there. What does that look like? How do we do that? Take a look at this. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die and dry his eyes and say, maybe next year. I need somebody who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make harness out of hay, wire feed sacks and shoe scraps who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then pain in from tractor back, put in another 72 hours. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink-combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the fleece, and strain the milk. Somebody who'd bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing. Who would laugh, and then sigh, and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. That was a Super Bowl commercial from about eight years ago. And I remember sitting in the place where I was watching the Super Bowl, the whole room went quiet. I kind of had to process that. And there's this moment at the end, right, where after all of those things, after that combination of strength and sensitivity, right, the, the combination of, of skill and patience, of care and, and, and bravery and courage. At the end, when the son says, I want to do what my dad does. Can you imagine that? Men in this room, is there any greater honor than your sons looking at you and saying, Dad, I want to be like you. Or is there any greater honor, men, for your daughters to say, I want to marry a man that's just like you? That's what it looks like. So God made a farmer. Somebody who's not willing, not, not afraid and willing to, to, to put their hands in them. You saw those hands, how cracked and, and dirty they were. To navigate disappointment, like you said, to, to stay up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die. And cry and mourn. It's okay, men, to cry. You're allowed. And say, you know what? Better luck next year. 
That's what it's like. But ultimately, it is that honor of saying, when our kids look at us and go, Dad, I want to be like you. I want to do what you do. I want to do it just like you do it. That's what God desires for us. I want you to be like me. I want you to do things the way that I do it. So I'm going to give us a few challenges, and then we're going to be done. Again, picture time, man. Take your phones out. First one is this, spiritual. What are you going to do to take responsibility for, for this, to learn and to pass on God's truth for the people that are in your garden? Right now, in, in this challenge that we started uh, just, just a couple days ago, you're two days in, so if you want to start, you can do it. You're not too far behind. We challenged a lot of our men to read a chapter of Proverbs every day. How are you going to do this? How are you going to take responsibility for learning and passing on God's truth to the people who are in your garden? You have to take responsibility for that. I can't do it for you. I can't come over to your house and open your Bible and sit down with you and read to you. You have to take responsibility. Here's the good news, guys. The Bible app will actually do that for you. You can open it up, press play, and there's a dude with an amazing voice, borderline Morgan Freeman, who reads the Bible to you. It's fantastic. But here's the deal, guys. You can't hit what you're not aiming for. And if you're not in the truth, if you're not in the word, if you're not feeding your spirit, you won't become who God desires you to be. Second one, physical. Based on how you choose to treat your body through what you eat, what you drink, your habits, and your health, what message are you intentionally or unintentionally communicating to the people around you? And again, my own experience. There are times when... when I've had to look at my boys and I see what they see in me, right? Unhealthy, lazy, sitting on the couch, eating, eating junk, drinking, drinking junk. And there are times it's like I have to wrestle with this. It's like, do I really want to change? Do I really want to stop? Because sometimes food, men, food numbs us out. It's a great escape from the, the junk we have to deal with. Drink, like what we drink, alcohol, like it's a, it's a great escape. It numbs things out. But guess what? The same junk you're dealing with is there the next day and now it's just coupled with a hangover. And so a lot of times what we don't realize is the stuff that we eat, the stuff that we drink, the way we treat our bodies, our health, what we're looking at our, our families and saying is, you're not worth it for me to change. And I'm in the midst of that. Guys, I shared this with our men. I'm gonna share it in front of the whole church and the internet. Here we go. I'm about 50 pounds overweight. Right? A lot of that happened when I, in COVID. I've struggled with my weight for a really long time. But I started a 90-day challenge back in January that involves healthy eating and exercise. And in a month, I'm down almost 16 pounds, which is great. But I feel so healthy. And part of that is also not drinking alcohol. And what, what it's enabled me to do is to look at my kids and to look at my family and say, you're worth it for me to change some of my habits. Relationships. Based on how you're aiming your life with your time, your attention, and your money, what messages are you sending to people in your garden about their value and where they stand in your life? It's like, yeah, I want my, I want my, my kids to think that I'm the most important person, but, but you're never home. Like my friend Jim taught on this and said, you know, it's like, well, I want to work really hard so that my kids can have a nice house and go on nice vacations and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you know how many kids are sitting alone in big houses where no dad is around? They don't want a big house. They don't want, they want you. So what are you saying? What kind of messages are you sending with how you spend your time and your attention and your money? Sexuality, based on your sexual thoughts and behaviors in your life, who or what are you looking to for the knowledge of good and evil? Are you looking to God? 
Are you saying, no, I think I can do this on my own? And then the last one is this. When it comes to your job or, or students going to school or work, based on how you treat people under your authority, what would they conclude is true about God from what they see in and get from you? So here's my challenge, guys. Here, you need a plan, like we said. Like everybody's got plans, so they get punched in the mouth. What needs to change in these areas for things to begin to look different into your life, in your life? Here's my challenge. Don't worry about the past. Yeah, there are things that happened in your life that are not your fault. But where you are today and where your life will go, it is your responsibility. Don't look back into the past. Don't worry about tomorrow. Men, start today. You have to start somewhere. Why not today? I'm gonna pray for us. I went, tried to go as fast as I could, I'm sorry. Um, I'm gonna pray for us. If you'd like to join our church, uh, you can meet me down front in, in this next segment, right? In this next song. If, if you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. If you wanna talk about what it means to, to trust and follow Jesus, we'd love to do that. I'm gonna pray for us. The band is gonna sing a song. We're gonna worship together. Uh, so let's do that. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in, in your name, right? We, we know that, that this responsibility that we need to step into as men and, and also the responsibilities that you've given to women equally. You looked at both of us and said, you have roles and responsibilities and expectations and men and women have an equal share in being your image and likeness bearers to a world that is searching for truth. So Father, I pray today that as we step out of this place, that we can have conversations about this, that we can look at how we're treating ourselves spiritually, what we're feeding our bodies, the relationships, uh, and where we're aiming our time and our resources. Father, that, that when it comes to our sexuality or even our jobs, that we realize that it, it's my job first and foremost to be an image bearer of God, to reflect you in who we are and what we do, to take responsibility for that. Father, so at the end of the day, as we speak blessing and value over the lives of people in our families. That's what rings in their ears. This is who my dad says I am. Doesn't matter what the rest of the world tells them, they come back to, well, here's what my dad tells me. My dad tells me that I'm loved and I'm priceless and I'm valued and I'm cared for. This is what my husband tells me. My husband tells me that I am still the love of his life. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world says about how we need to look, act, feel, be, do. Here's what my husband says about me. Here's what my dad says about me. And I want to be just like him. Father, may we lean into that responsibility. We love you. Jimmy, pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.